Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? Oops. That everyone is smart. So you're Al Myers, kid? Yes, I am. You look pretty stupid to me. Thank you. You say the best skier in town just ran off with your girlfriend? Even your younger brother does better than you do? <laughs> and that nobody even cares? That broke up with me. Oh, that's nice. Well, you might be right. But remember one thing. I haven't even been to New York City. Nobody was ever better off dead. The truth is, I can outski you any day of the week. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to race? I'll take you on any day, sucker. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. All you need is guts. All right, now turn. I'm gonna race. I'm gonna lose, and I'm gonna die in that order. Go. And you'll never doubt yourself again. He's skiing on one ski. Better off dead. And that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. An abnormal look at a normal teenager. Hello, welcome back to K. Have you seen? My name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And we have a special guest with us today. Special guest, why don't you introduce yourself, please? Hello, I'm Mike Cushing, Kyle's roommate, and. Uh... Podcast host at Trends in Low Places and another 24 fan cast you don't need to know about. Whoa, we'll get to plugs later. <laughs> oh, our sorry. podcast now. But sorry, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is our time. But oh, no, I, I am very much looking forward to hearing how you describe your podcast when we get to the uh, the end of this oh, one. God. But uh, um, but yeah, this is a very special episode of K. Have You Seen? This is our 25th episode can you believe we've been doing this for like six months quarter of a hundred we're almost there quarter of a hundred oh thank you gosh it just seems like yesterday we were sitting at literally this exact same table yes this means nothing to you but we've returned to our old studio if you will talking about clue at that time oh man um, great film but yeah indeed and uh we are kind of returning to where it all began in the sense that our movie today is another 1980s cult classic comedy. Uh, it is Better Off Dead, uh, the movie that arguably launched uh, John Cusack's leading man career in, in, a, in uh, comedies of that era. Which is shocking when you think about it. Honestly, like, that or is when you watch very this movie. Yeah. It makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, perhaps saying that it launched is not necessarily the best way to put it, but we'll get into that later on here. Um, Kari, you, like myself, have not seen this movie. This was Mike's suggestion. So could you be so kind as to give us, in your own words, a synopsis of what happens oh, in this film? You're going to make me do it. So cruel. Um, so John Cusack is starts the movie as a aspiring skier, ski high school ski team person. Um, skier, skier, yes. Well, like a high school ski, a, a JV, a varsity skier. He wants I guess. to join the varsity ski team. Yes, the, uh, growing up in Georgia, that's a foreign concept to me. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And he is obsessed with his girlfriend, Becky. Beth. Beth. Close. (laughs) And they, so very early in the movie, she basically breaks up with him for the hot jock, the head of the ski team. And he, there's various adventures throughout the movie, but basically it's all centering around him trying to beat this jock at the, the diamond run what's the, the, run the k-12 the k-12, k-12. and which no one has survived except no for one survived villain. except for this yeah except for cobra kai roy and stalin <laughs> his name is roy oh, stalin 
Yeah, so he's a bad guy. He's just an all-around jerk. Um, and so he's trying to win back the girl and beat him at his own game at the super dangerous ski run and antics ensue. And it just kind of gets wilder and less realistic. So it's, it's funny. Wild, just it's funny that you said like it opens changed. up with him being like a ski star or something because like even rewatching this, a movie I really like. He just looks like a serial killer. Like, yeah, he does. Oh, <laughs> he, it, oh, I thought he was obsessed with it. I thought he was going to yes. try to win this girl. No, she's his girlfriend. She's his girlfriend. Like, yeah, yeah. Of six months, I think they say. Not Yeah, and not knowing... I, I went to this movie about as cold as you can. Like I knew that it existed. I knew nothing about it. K-12 might have been the only thing I knew about it. Really? Uh, yeah. Where did you hear K-12? I, I don't know. I, it was just kind of pop culture osmosis, like little <laughs> things that I, I, I pick oh, up. Okay. I mean, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so when this movie opens and he's got photos of his girl all over his room, including on his, all of his shirt hangers in his closet, oh I was my God. like, was I, so I didn't know what the tone of this movie was. And so for oh. that to be the first crazy thing that I see, I was like, whoa, what kind of movie did I yeah. just stumble into like, here? That's your interaction to our hero. Yes. yes. And just, I think the movie does such a good job kind of ramping up the literal absurdism throughout so you start and you're like okay which i i told you guys before we started recording a lot of my questions are like a how does this work yeah, type yeah. of thing first question opening in the movie where do stalkers get all those perfect black and white pictures of these people maybe in the 80s you had more like printed photos like that but like every stalker movie they always have these like perfect like either framed and like posed pictures mm-hmm. of the person which like where the hell do they get those or, or candidates these... from like two feet away then. yeah <laughs> and you're like what but that that whole sequence they ramp up the like they start with just him and a bunch of pictures he's like mm-hmm. sleeping with her picture under his pillow but when he opens the closet door and yes. every hanger has his face has her face on it well it's not just him that, that was ha- amazing it's not just him that has photos though because it cuts to beth's room at one <laughs> point and she's got not only an eight by ten glossy of her boyfriend at the time but also an eight by ten glossy of roy stalin the yep. guy that she's about to dump our hero for that's how we know because she takes out john cusack's picture and puts in roy stalin's picture and puts john in the trash <laughs> yeah. John in the garbage uh, can, of course. So harsh. Um, but yeah, so the official synopsis, or at least this one that I pulled off of IMDb, the teenager Lane Meyer, played by John Cusack, has a crush on his girlfriend Beth Truss. When Beth dumps him to, yeah, well, I would say that's actually true in this case. When Beth dumps him to stay with the successful skier Roy Stalin, Lane is depressed and decides to commit suicide. However, he gives up and tries to improve his skill of skier to ski the dangerous K-12 slope to impress Beth. Meanwhile, his neighbor, Mr. Mrs. Smith, receives the exchange French student uh, Monique Jeannot and her fat son Ricky Smith considers Monique his girlfriend. However, Monique has an unrequited crush on Lane that uh, does not note her. When Lane stumbles upon Monique in a high school party, he befriends her. The upset Lane challenges Roy to a competition on the K-12 slope, but then he regrets it. However, Monique is a great mechanic and skier, and they fix Lane's Camaro and teach him how to ski the K-12 slope. What will happen to Lane? Question mark. Now, that was written by someone in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, who has a loose grasp <laughs> of the English language, but I kind of thought that was a perfect uh, way to describe this movie because the movie, actually, that's about how much sense the the, the logic of the film yes. takes place. I mean, yeah. so with all of that uh, in mind, and Mike, I, I realize you have not been doing a whole lot of talking <laughs> so far, but... It's okay. uh, our podcast, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Corey, what was your first impression of this movie? Like, just in broad strokes here. Um... So it it was pleasantly surprising how 
absurd it gets. I alluded to that earlier, but just it, the logic of the movie, like kind of just unravels as you're watching it. And I thought that was delightful, but um, this was one of the first movies, Kyle, you say this a lot, and this is the first time I have felt Ooh. it. The movie that is not for me. Ah. This is clearly a movie for teenage boys, mm-hmm. not for 25-year-old women. Right. So I I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Um, found out, actually, today that it is my father's favorite movie. From Whoa! Time. Yes. A man of good taste. like, yeah, so, and he loves skiing, and it kind of, I don't know, it, when he said it, I was like, oh, okay, I could see that. But, um, yeah, it was, I enjoyed it. It was definitely not for me. <laughs> I, I would say that's probably a fair way to put it. Um, I also enjoyed it very much. I thought it was, I, I once I figured out, like, oh, it's this kind of movie where it's completely insane, yeah. I was on board, because I was taking a lot of notes early on, I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And, yeah. But as soon as I figured out what the deal was, I was like, ah, got it, it's a live action cartoon. I see. Ah, so I was also perfect. taking a lot of notes, and I was like, well, I'm going to be on this show, got to really have some <laughs> thoughts together, and then I was like, because I haven't seen this movie in a couple years, right. mm-hmm. so as soon as I got back, I was like, oh, right, I don't need to take any notes at all. This is just the dumbest shit possible. Um, so, with yeah. that, tell us a little bit about your background with this movie. How did you first see it? Where does it come into your life? So I think it's probably, um, it's a little bit weird. So my upbringing, I think maybe a little bit similar to Kyle's in that I didn't have access to like a ton of, like, my parents were very guarded. Like, they guarded my like TV mm-hmm. and movie consumption quite a bit. No veggie um, tales, though? Uh, I did get some Veggie Tales at Whoa. school. Thank you. At, at school. school. Interesting. Christian, Christian school. school yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Uh, I'm anyway, gonna log, log that as a point for Kyle. But yes. anyway, um, so I think I came across this movie like probably mid high school on like TBS or Comedy Central or something, just like a summer day when my parents weren't home, and it just like I think I just was really into that, just like the devolving of the logic and the mm. humor, and it just gets ridiculous. And I think. On multiple viewings, I really realized it was more of like a skewering of every other teen comedy in the mm. 80s that I kind of had seen. Like a lot of the tropes, they're just like, they're just bashing it over the head with a hammer until it's dead. So yes. like a not another teen okay. movie kind of a thing. But like oh, with like a script and like quality to it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love how not another teen movie, but we can talk oh. about that later. I do too. That is interesting because I didn't read it as like a parody as I was watching it. But it almost, it either had to originate them or be skewering them to be any good at all. So, yeah, I really, I mean, it's like, there's the, you know, the loser challenging a jock for a mm-hmm. contest. There's, like, a car, multiple car chases that make no sense. <laughs> um, I mean, even, like, the little brother who's mostly annoying, like... But also, like, a genius. Has this whole, like, plot that's yeah. maybe a horror movie, kind right, of. Yeah. And, yeah. like, I mean, but, like, even, like, the two villains, like... Roy Stalin is almost not even the villain of the movie. Like, yeah, he's just a jerk. Ricky kind of is, but then even Ricky That's gets true. redeemed at the end. Like, it's mm. it's this weird. I don't know. It turns a lot of those tropes from eighties teen so movies. Mom maybe is kind of the villain. I, I don't even think there's a villain. This is just like it's just shit happens to this dumb teenager. Yeah. I was gonna say like every I, early on, one of the first notes I wrote was everybody in this movie sucks. <laughs> everybody, to not one Monique. Degree or Monique's another. great at everything. Yes. She comes in right at the right except moment. Monique. And then once we meet Monique, I'm like, okay, everybody except Monique sucks. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so when this movie came out, reviews not great. Um, Eber, uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs down. Um, the reviews are pretty brutal, but um, the writer and director, who we will for sure talk about in a moment, a guy 
with the excellent name of Savage Steve Holland, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, uh, you know, he he credits HBO and cable with this movie becoming what we would now call a cult classic because oh. it did terrible at the box office, but then like it got bought in like packages of movies and was like played constantly on mm. cable and people started to pick it up from that. And uh, he said that he would go into blockbuster videos and over the years and like try to find copies of it and it was always checked out. And he was like, oh, cool. Um, this but would yeah. be a great movie to just have on, on TV, break it yeah, up with some commercials. Exactly. You've got something else I think going that's on. why I like it so much. It's, uh. it's so rewatchable, even if you're not watching. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Kyle, you mentioned that about. Um, Sorry, one of the Mad Max movies. Yeah. Like, you're just like having it on in the background. Sorry, sure. Road Warrior. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, that's like, it's just like, you don't have to even watch it. It's just like yeah. great background. You're like, noise. oh, cool. Like an animated hamburger playing the guitar. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, back to my dishes. Right. By the way, Mike, I appreciate that uh, token demonstration that you did research on our show before you came on. I listen. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. People. We just bring people on our show so they'll actually listen to it before they come. We're trying to get up. I haven't listened to the bitch. Tales <laughs> mm. Sorry. Listen, get to I need, uh, need some backup. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, so this one was a fun one to think about. Movies to pair with uh, Better Off Dead. Um, I said Hot Tub Time Machine, of course, because that's John Cusack returning to the 1980s ski comedy, a subgenre that I have a great fondness for. Um, and then also an actual, like, another 80s ski movie, uh, my personal favorite of the small bunch, Hot Dog the Movie. Um, <laughs> I do not even know it, that one by name. It is as silly as the title makes it sound. But uh, what about you guys? Anything that you might pair with this this particular masterwork? Uh, you already said it, but not another teen movie. One of you guys said oh, it. Yeah. That one definitely came to mind. Um, I was definitely thinking of the 80s, like, kind of pretty in pink came to mind. There's a lot of yeah. that, like, teenage romance angst type stuff. It's Pretty in pink is almost the, like, female version mm-hmm. of this movie, I feel like. I was going like. to say 16 Candles more than Pretty in pink. That's but... the one I'm thinking of. Ah, I yes. always get those two was confused. Was Q-Tech so in sorry. 16 Candles? Yes. The... Okay. John yeah. and Joan were both in that That's one. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Were they? Yeah, they were playing the twins with the headgear. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. He wasn't the love interest. He was... Right. Yeah, they were playing the nerdy twins with yeah. headgear. So, I'm going to throw a curveball in. Please do. A movie that I've only seen one time, um... A little bit drunk, but uh, War Inc. with also starring oh. Cusack that came out around oh, the same, yeah. I think a couple years that. after like Lord of War. With yes, Cage. yes. But so he plays like some sort of like government fixer or something, like selling guns to people in like the Middle East. But like, it's almost got the same level of absurdist humor from a like adult John Cusack. Interesting. It, so like. It's weird. I only remember seeing it once, but I loved it for some All reason. Right. And so I, it might be like a additional pairing. I mean, I'm oh, game. Nice. That yeah. sounds great. I uh, also think uh, she's the man. Kind of is all of this genre yeah, as well. Kinda, a lot of the kinda. same beats. I'm going to throw that in there. That is actually a perfect transition to the next thing I was going to talk about, because uh, I thought of several connections to our previous movies this oh, yeah, season. Absolutely. That's a great one. Mm. Also felt like the comedy, a lot of the humor was very similar in tone to like the burbs. Oh, yes. Um, Absol- oh, yeah. And the kind of the universe logic like is that kid, definitely birds That, that kid, uh, the Johnny, uh, the uh, uh, newspaper boy, he would have fit oh, right man. in on the cul-de-sac and the burbs, right? It was freaking $2. It's also, the principal. he said, like, come back when my parents are home. Yeah. Why didn't he just come back when the parents were home? The right. parents would have yeah. given him, like, probably $4. He could have doubled his money. <laughs> uh, there was that also, you know, like $2. we mentioned. $2. Where was my $2. Um, that kid also shows up in the uh, hot tub time machine as well in, the, in a moment. Uh, Does he really? Yeah, I forgot a, about that. Is it a call out? To yeah, it's a call out for sure, hundred percent. Wow, that's amazing. Um, no, it's like, like there's a kid that sell that yells out, "John Cusack, give me my two dollars." <gasps> um, Wait, did you? 
So when you were watching this movie, were you like, oh my god, that's what they were talking about in Hot Tub Time Machine? Because you no, hadn't seen this no. either. No, I found out. I found that out in a, uh, internet okay. trivia. Um, also, this movie, as we mentioned, kind of loosely connected to Clue in the sense of, like I said, another cult classic '80s comedy, mm. um, and uh, a connection to both Ed Wood and Boogie Nights. Uh, the director of this movie was very young. Savage Steve was a ripe young, twenty-five years old when he made this movie. Wow, um, already so, going by a nickname. So yeah, and uh, just to give yourself that nickname when you're twenty-five, I see. You, yeah, I have calling you so. Savage. Savage Steve. And, um, but this is kind of like a different look at a mid-twenties director. Like, Boogie Nights is kind of like the high watermark and like, you know. Oh, yeah. You're like, I can't believe this guy is 20. This one, you're like, yeah, this guy is definitely 20. It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So I think another thing that makes it, so something I've read the highlights that he was 25 and this was Mm -hmm. his first movie, it was apparently a lot of it is autobiographical. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, It's like, your first story you make is always like, well, it's just me on my life. It's just like a, you know, young guy. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, that blew my mind for a couple of reasons, but um, when I, because I read that too, and one of which being that, for being that young and being able to poke fun at his own persona from when he was in high school that viciously in some ways, mm. I was like, that takes a level of just like either being very comfortable with who you are or just putting your insecurities completely out in the open. One or the other, possibly a combination of the two. It's kind of like the perfect, like when you're 25, you're like right in your mid-20s, you can look back, you're a different person mm-hmm. now, but you still like know that person from high school well enough to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you were thinking. I think 25 is like right after you're, you're exiting that like very self-involved, I have to discover who I am yeah. phase of mm-hmm. life, and now you're like, I know who I am, even though you don't know fucking shit about anything. <laughs> yeah. And then... Like, uh, the comedian Kyle Kinane has a great bit. He talked that it's, it's a long story about something that happened to him when he was 22. And he opens up with his, like, 22, not even a man, just a creature. And it's like, <laughs> 25 isn't too far along from that. But, uh, you're like um, just coming out of the muck. You're just yeah, starting to grow your legs. Exactly. And get rid of your dorsal fin. And, uh, <laughs> Good old Savage Steve. That's a great, great way to put it. Um, good old Savage Steve here. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, Mikey uh, said that this is largely a semi-autobiographical story. And specifically, like, I don't know how much you looked into this, but, like, specifically the idea that, like, in high school his girlfriend broke up with him out of the blue and he started making these, like, half-assed suicide attempts. And he made a cartoonish comedy about his half-assed suicide attempts, which is... Uh, insane. I'm starting to see how he earned his savage nickname. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, cartoonist and illustrator uh, going into art school uh, decided to become a filmmaker instead, made a little short film that got discovered by Henry Winkler of all people, and that's how he got to make this movie. And then after making a couple of live action movies, he shifted back into producing and directing cartoons, and now he owns his own studio, naturally, Savage Studios Limited. Of course. Um, and he directs shows for the Disney, Disney Channel and Nickelodeon. Wow. So he's an interesting character. The yeah. second Nickelodeon connection from this one. We can probably get into that later, but... Oh. Uh, well, uh, we'll... Sure. Yeah. Oh. Um, but also, his mom uh-huh. uh, apparently also made a habit of gifting people TV dinners. Yes, yeah. I read that too. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so funny. The mom was like one of the best characters in the whole movie. She, okay, another movie connection, I guess, that would pair well with this. A Christmas Story? Yeah. yeah. That was 100% yes. the mom from The Christmas Story. Definitely. That cranked up to 11, I thought. Like, <laughs> um, now we're just reaching. Now we're just reaching, but <laughs> seriously though. 
Um, but yeah, Savage Steve, an interesting guy. Uh, John Cusack as Lane Meyer, our hero. Um, like we mentioned, one of his first leading roles here. And he allegedly hated this movie when it came out to the mm. point where he walked out of the premiere 20 minutes in wow. and he was making another movie with Savage Steve at the time and he walked up to him and he says, I never want to see you again. I never want to talk to you again. You just ruined my career. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. What? Uh, uh, Cusack swears this didn't happen, but everybody else that was around him was like, oh, 100% it happened. He oh my definitely God. What if they were that. trolling him? What if everyone's like, guess what? We're going to make up the story about. I don't John really know Cusack. that much about John Cusack as a person, but I, it does not shock me that he would I've heard he's like tough that. to work with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will. Go. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You, you go. I was going to say, I know he was on another podcast, like a larger podcast mm-hmm. recently, and I think. Larger than ours? Are no, those podcasts not, not larger possible. Than yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Like another movie podcast, which I don't think exists. Um, but <laughs> we gotta shut that shit down. Kyle, he mentioned that know. he's like he didn't think the movie was the same script that he read because mm-hmm. he thought it was supposed to be a darker comedy than it was. Oh wow! Yeah. Which there were five different suicide scenes yes. in this movie. Yeah. yeah, those did feel kind of like every time I was like, oh yeah, like I forgot this was kind of. It felt like it was supposed to be a thing, and I think the whole Better Off Dead title, obviously, mm-hmm. is referring to that. But, like, it really was kind of out of the blue a little bit. Like, it, I don't know. They, they did feel a little thrown in, I thought. But. Again, I, I, as soon as I found out that this was, like, based on Savage Steve's actual life experience, I was like, okay, well, that doesn't have to make sense, because apparently that's what actually happened. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we can talk about, and this is a sentence you will not hear on most movie podcasts, we can talk about the funniest suicide scene later. Um <laughs> Right, people. We only say it. <laughs> um, and then the other, the only other actor that I could think of that I thought was an interesting character personally was uh, Curtis Armstrong as Charles Demar, the friend who's like obsessed with snorting anything he can find. Yeah. By the you way, Curtis Armstrong. Who, good drugs in this town. <laughs> yeah, can't even find real drugs. I think is what he says. Uh, Curtis Armstrong, who I always think is Clint Howard, but he's, he's <laughs> not. He's a different person. No. I had a whole. I was like, how do I know him? How do I know him? He's the principal on New Girl is like the most recent thing That's I've seen. Right. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, he's just one of those that guy actors. So I always think of him as Booger from Revenge of the, the Nerds. Nerds. But uh, then I yeah. totally forgot he's also basically playing the same-ish role as he did in Brisky Business. Yes, oh, exactly. Which again is like they're skewering like their his yeah. the trope of that friend. So Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would be willing to believe that it is an intentional like parody in some ways, but at the same time, uh, uh, one of the things that I read was that Savage Steve cast Curtis Armstrong after seeing him in Risky Business, and so it's like it could go either way. It's like either right. he just is not self-aware enough as a director to like you know, or, or confident enough to like create his own character and just be like, you do that thing you did in that other movie because yeah. that was funny and people liked that. It's fair. Mm-hmm. Or it could have been, as you say, Mike. I, I think that it could be uh, could very easily be either way. But were there any other other, like standout performances or actors that you could think of that really uh, that, that caught your attention here. The mom. The mom. Yeah. Well, both moms mom. really were kind of crazy, insane oh, characters the, on their own, right? Um, Ricky's mom and Lane's mom. Mm-hmm. Something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both were insane. The dad had some great, like, just dad moments. You're like, yeah, yeah that's David Ogden Spears. Yeah, rest in power. <laughs> Who I only had ever seen in MASH before. Right. In old episodes of MASH. And so I had never heard him speak with a, a not-affected British accent. So oh. that was a interesting uh, interesting role reversal for him. And whatever other cartoons he was in. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Other cartoons in addition to this <laughs> one. This which live-action cartoon. Live-action cartoon, strictly, yeah. Um... 
but yeah, let's talk a little bit about the style here, like the uh, the offbeat '80s teen comedy, as we've said. I mean, this could. I, I, you're, I'm warming up to this idea, Mike, that this is just like a send up of like a genre that was kind of at one of its peaks in 1985. Mm. Um, I mean, the same themes as a zillion other teen comedies, but uh, I don't know. There's like something like so audacious about this one because of its because of its uh, absurdity that uh, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts about you know the things that like really set this one apart from from Pack. Uh, well, like I said, I didn't read it as parody as I was watching it. And that actually makes me like it more because I I didn't dislike it, but it was kind of like I thought a little tiresome at points because I had seen some of this stuff so many times. Mm -hmm. But understanding it differently makes me feel a little bit better about that. Mike, what about you? Yeah, so I and I might go back to another like calling out a good performance. So and I think this is speaks to that also when he gets like set up on a date by his mom oh, because yeah. like he couldn't he, Beth wouldn't go out with him or whatever right. mm-hmm. so he shows up to the like the nerdy girl's house who uh-huh. walks yeah. out with like headgear and yeah. braces and looks like you know huge glasses and then rather than like you know this being a pity date she walks out and she's like okay how about we break down the numbers about what you owe me for this date <laughs> yeah. i don't want to go out with you any more than i than you want to go out with me so let's just <laughs> you give me 23 dollars and we'll call it even He's oh like, which okay. is crushing after his whole like she's so lucky like she's getting to go out with the hottest guy in the whole school and she's like listen buddy pay me 11 bucks and then you can right. she was great like she, I, was like, great. she walked in for her that one scene that she was in she immediately seized control as soon as she walks out the door it's like all right look let's get down to brass tacks here <laughs> i think like all the bit characters kind of did that yeah. like, yes i'm sure we'll get into the two asian brothers uh oh, yeah. driving cars but like yeah. all those like bit roles are so good and yes. i think they they're kind of the the send up to the genre, if anything. Fair, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I do think it was a huge missed opportunity, though, with the headgear girl, that she wasn't the one that ended up with Ricky at the end. Yeah. Like, yeah. they just brought in another random nerdy girl. It's like, you already established that well, this she, girl is, like, the nerdiest. She clearly knows what she wants, though. Yeah, and yeah. it's not Ricky. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, they've got the same glasses. How cute. They're perfect for each other. And then she walks out, and the mom's all upset. And I was like, this is literally achieving your goals but whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. whatever. Um, another one that I was kind of reminded of by this movie that's much more much more grounded in, in reality even though it does also get kind of absurd as Fast Times at Ridgemont High in like the way that it kind of takes these weird asides and stuff like that much more rooted in reality I would say as opposed to just like throwing causality out the window in a lot of places um, but uh, yeah I don't know I, I, I agree that it does kind of like rehash so much that it, it almost seems impossible that it wasn't like self self aware in that way, um, but then so, like some of the tropes like I, I don't know we'll, we'll talk we'll talk I'm gonna, actually I'm gonna save that part for for later on but let's go oh. ahead and move on go ahead yeah go another random another boogie nights connection there's one girl who doesn't take off her roller skates her roller skates and right. we will talk about her for sure <laughs> yeah um, but yeah uh, we've been touching on it a little bit the cartoon influence here is I mean again finding out that Savage Steve was a cartoonist and animator that makes, makes perfect sense yeah because yeah. in the movie it's kind of just like a thing like he Lane just draws cartoons like one time kind of it makes yeah. the opening credits make more sense because the opening yes. credits were all cartoons but a cartoon that didn't really have any thematic connection I didn't think no, to the rest of the movie I thought it was whatsoever. gonna turn into a video game. Like uh, in the beginning of Stranger Things, when they're playing the, it's a very similar kind of style yeah. of video game, the like Castle Dragon. 
mm-hmm. whatever. But Castle Dragon, whatever, I think was the classic. Arcade yeah, is that the yes. classic Dragon Two is one of my favorites. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I stick to the original. Um, yeah, I thought it was going to be a video game or something, but yeah, it really doesn't have any connection. Yeah, but um, I, I did actually think there was a really funny part in the movie where he draws the cartoon and the cartoon talks back to him and is like bitching at him. Like, yeah. that's a really sick lane. And he's like, <laughs> he's like listen! Yeah. I thought that was actually pretty funny. And then how loud the paper crinkled in his hand yeah. after he like wads it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kept seeing like throughout it, I was like, yeah, for sure, this is like... This this would make a really funny cartoon. Like I, I, it's so this this person uh, uh, Savage Steve's cartoon sensibilities seem like on point. Like he seems born to make cartoons because that's definitely like the pacing and the and the cadence of this film. Yeah, I will say, Kyle. I know you have a nephew, correct? Yes. Okay, not of TV watching age yet. Kari, do you have any? No young kids in my life. Okay, so when you get to the point of watching Phineas and Ferb with your with your niece or nephew. Uh, Kari, I guarantee, just made that face because she watches that show of her own volition. Okay. No children. <laughs> then, Kari, you know, Kyle, now that you said that, this movie could just be an episode of Phineas and Ferb. It absolutely could. It, yeah. Particularly the little brother, just, like, oh, doing all this crazy stuff. The little brother was, like, the prototype of Phineas and Ferb. Right. He's just, like, doing all this stuff that's, like, way out of his age range. Like, if Phineas and Ferb called strippers to his bed. Yeah. Though, yeah. Sure. Thank God they don't. Yeah. I love that to, show. How to pick up trashy women. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, it, it definitely, in, in a way, like, it kind of reminded me of, like, Ren and Stimpy. Because it's like, this is like adult subject matter in a very juvenile, like cartoonish presentation. I just thought of another connection, which obviously is going to happen because we've already established this is like kind of a send up of everything. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. yeah. Lane thinks he's Ferris Bueller and he's not, but there's actually another really funny connection I thought, but... To Ferris Bueller? Yeah. The I, the math class that he sits in is the opposite of the Bueller yes. Bueller class. Yes. Like the literal opposite. Everyone's like sitting there talking about like some advanced math. I didn't know what they were talking about and like riveted. They are yeah. laughing at all the teachers' jokes. They are like just that engaged. Of, they are hoping that they're he's gonna call on them to yeah, turn like their begging homework for in. homework. That yeah. was one of the funniest scenes to be. Yeah, that was really. Like, the the way that it was set up, it was, such, yeah, you're right, it was such, like, a reversal of, like, the way classroom scenes normally go. Like, everybody was just thrilled to be like, ooh, 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 me, teacher, over here, me. Oh uh, except God. for John Cusack, obviously, and so, of course, he gets called up. It was yeah. pretty good. Um, but, yeah, uh, and then kind of moving down to, like, of course, the dark humor mm-hmm. of this film um, is... It, it doesn't feel dark. Like, the way it's presented yeah. never feels dark. It's just like when you think about it in, like, with, out of context, you're like, yeah, that's kind of, that's really messed up. Um, it kind of felt like it was probably darker in an earlier draft to me. Perhaps. Like, they yeah. kind of wrote out, they were like, oh, okay, fine, the suicides, I guess we'll let you keep if you insist. But, like, let's just... Ooh, let's let's bring it out here. You have into to the keep the suicides. We're going to limit you to five. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Because the suicides were like dark, but it was kind of dipping pretty well, far. Apparently, with, like, s- like Steve Holland like tried to do the whole garage uh, like extension cord yeah. on a bucket. Oh god! Like he actually tried to do that, oh. and then, like yeah. With similar results. That's what he, like he tells the story in like an article. Uh, he he did an interview with uh, like Fast Company not too long ago, and he said that you you might have looked at the exact same article that I did, but like he talks about how he like stood on top of a plastic garbage can, looped like a garden hose around his neck, and put the other end around a water pipe. But then the plastic garbage can collapsed under him, 
The, so he falls, the cord around his neck pulls the pipe and breaks the pipe, so he falls into this garbage can, which is now filling up with water, and so he almost drowns, Jesus. Oh and his God. mom comes out and does obviously not know that that's what happened, and starts yelling at him for breaking the water pipe, <laughs> which I was like, I feel like that scene in the movie could have been extended to include that, and it would have been hilarious, which uh. it, the, t- the physical timing of that was actually pretty funny anyway, but um, yeah, like... That's one of those things that I was I was kind of curious about, like, uh, you know, when at what point did we as a society decide that like suicide jokes are not acceptable anymore? Like, I don't, I honestly don't have an answer for this. I'm really not sure, but it's like obviously something in 1985 was like we all kind of know how much production time it takes for a feature film to get made and released. Mm-hmm. So like, clearly some people didn't think that there was anything to worry about. At the time. Yeah. I mean, I don't... I can't imagine even when it came out, and I would have to, like, read more reviews, but, like, that people were... Su- I'm sure he had to fight on that one. Yeah. Right? Like... I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe the 80s were more irreverent. I mean, now, obviously, we get a lot of guff for, like, being the PC, like, era, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I don't think it's... I don't think 2018 was the line. I think the line was, oh, like... Oh, certainly not. 19, like, 90-something, maybe late 80. I don't know. I don't know. No, I, that's I'm saying. It's, it's weird how, like... Because, you know, with that, we don't necessarily need to get into that whole conversation about, like, you know, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with, like, the way things have, have moved, but it does seem like people kind of take for granted that, you know, how much societal acceptance of, like, questionable subject matter has changed even in the last five or ten years. Well, it's yeah. even, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, like, Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. Like, the dude essentially rapes that girl in, like, in the There's bounce some, house. like, like real like, questionable, like, like, sexuality things. Most of the 80s yeah. are yeah. mega questionable. For but sure. You put yeah. in something about, like, Satan worship or, like, communism, and people would have freaked out. So right. now Satanic we can get away with yeah. that. Oh, yeah. for sure, yeah. So, you know, flip-flop, you know, same but different. Uh, but um, the 80s were just wild it was just yeah. a wild and crazy time I mean Reagan's America man what are you going to do <laughs> the, the family values era <laughs> yeah obviously obviously um, but yeah there is a lot in here that what we would probably consider problematic material will be the terminology of 2018 yes. um, which you know I, I, I sometimes watch movies like that and I'm wondering like am well, I... my, my fave is problematic I'll, I'll say that do, do what now my fave is problematic okay <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay, you're not on Twitter enough. Get I guess I'm not. No, I'm <laughs> I, I haven't been on Twitter in like five years, probably. Oh, you lucky sister. No. <laughs> not bad, but also I'm not sorry uh, at all. But um, anyway, yeah, so it's um, it, it, it's uh, not just the suicide stuff. Like, there's a, lot, there's a lot of stuff in here, like, that even though I don't necessarily find it to be, like, bad, that it would for sure be, like, a instant, like, it would be, like, production poison like there's no way you would ever get a korean guy who learned how to speak english from watching howard Cosell sports commentary like that that isn't like i don't think that's that big of a deal but i don't think that you would ever get that into a movie today certainly not yeah yeah that was very 16 candles if yes. i had to pick one line from this movie that would make it into a 2018 production mm-hmm. is uh when he does kind of get knocked into the like he's thinking about jumping off the overpass yes. of the highway mm-hmm. to kill himself and then uh, Charles Lamar knocks him, like, pats him on the shoulder oh, and throws him off. Yes. And he falls into a garbage truck. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then, like, the two uh, black utility workers yes. are just like, 
It's real shame when they're throwing out white boys like that. Yeah, perfectly perfect. good white boy. Yeah. That, was, that is what my that, dad texted me when he was. That was, was like, the line classic. that made me laugh like out loud. And that I can see that hundred percent being in a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, and then just like I said, generally insane material. That like, how the hell did this make it into a movie? at all like yeah. the standout scene in particular that I'm thinking of and I'll, I'll get you <laughs> no I have an idea it may not work because I haven't pitched to you guys before this uh, I would love to just rapid fire some of these if you have them at the top of your head but if not we can move on oh that. I can at least get it started like the scene in the lunchroom where the guy says like uh uh what's, what was it I wrote it down Chrissy Crummins dates the basketball team. Not one of them. <laughs> the whole team. Chrissy Crummins dates the basketball team. Okay, got it. Uh, I, I don't know what to extrapolate from that. I don't think I want to necessarily. Uh, I think it's pretty clear. It is pretty clear. I think all, although you can trust the absurdist logic that she is literally dating the basketball team. Yeah, and yes. the, uh, not it, what that would mean if you actually said it about a real person. Sure, sure. Uh, those the those five guys all just like grunting like cavemen. Yeah. Uh, a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, but, uh, I don't know. What do you got next? Okay, I'm next. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Aardvark Jacket right from the top. <laughs> that I forgot was about hilarious. The jacket. So, for Christmas, this was so Christmas story. Uh, the mom gives the dad that jacket. She's uh-huh. like, everyone's going to be wearing it. It looks like this, like, I guess beautiful if you're into fur coats. But, like, this, 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 like, beautiful fur jacket and then he puts up the hood and it's like got an aardvark head on it the and then she's like head. everyone's gonna be wearing them and he's like everyone's gonna be wearing them and then you see the neighbor wearing the neighbor, it yeah that was a great payoff like honestly like uh, by the way that neighbor I, didn't he look like Kurt Vonnegut to anybody I swear he looked exactly like Kurt Vonnegut yeah, very similar um, hilarious. but yeah that was All right. superb payoff rapid fire next boom, one boom go Mike go uh, I would just say the uh, the claymation like hamburger scene absolutely would not be involved in any movie in 2018. No, yeah. like the f- can't believe we a this. full song and dance number of a hamburger dancing to Van Halen. Van Halen, <laughs> so perfect. Playing a little guitar. Um, oh, also I forgot to mention uh, Chrissy Crummins' excellent uh, um, uh, Nike roller skates. Oh yeah, everybody was wearing Nikes in this movie. Like I, I saw oh, these like five oh, people nice. like. There's at least five people that are wearing, like, blatantly just, like, Nike Cortez sneakers. I thought you were going to mention, and I'll take this one on the next do. one, uh, the full dress rip when he, like, falls on her, just whole outfit just completely mm. rips off, yeah. like, like a tearaway pants, like, just, phew. that was absurd. Yes, also, uh, uh, Mrs. Meyer making the dinner with these still swiveling octopus tentacles. Loved that. That was straight out of, like, Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, showering with socks. Showering Sorry, with socks. Sorry, Mike. His lucky socks, though. <laughs> so, uh, I, this came from a Reddit thread I read because I was looking through stuff before. But apparently, it was also the socks he was wearing at the picnic where he met Beth. Oh, and he, man. So, like, he just... Leave it to Reddit, man. What did people exactly. do in the 80s when this actually came out? They never would have seen that. I had to watch it obsessively. The one guy times. saw it, and he would have posted on Reddit in 2018, but instead he just had to, like, talk about it to everyone, and they were mm-hmm. like, shut up, no one cares. By the, way, day. by the way, that, that flag... <laughs> Reddit! No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> that should for sure the be their tagline. Absolutely. Um, by the way, that whole flashback scene I thought was actually really good. Like, first first of all, loved Cusack's checkerboard shorty shorts. Mm-hmm. I need to... I need, like, Chubby's needs to get on that and like Absolutely. do a reissue of those Very good things. shorts. Um, and also, like, the kind of rehash of, like, the Annie Hall, like, inner thoughts scene where they're oh, both talking about great. scratching their nose. Yeah. And where uh, uh, Lane and Beth are, like, talking to each other and like like keep scratching their nose and he's like 
she just scratched her nose. Do I have something in my nose? Oh man, he just scratched his nose. Do I have something on my nose? Yeah. And they go back and forth, and it becomes it devolves like in like instantly into just like total mayhem. And the only word that I can hear him say is the Nazis in like, and he's actually saying like think words out loud. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, what is okay? Uh, That's good. That's good. Um. Um. Also. Cereal bags? Did they not have those in the eighties? They stabbed the cereal. Yeah. No, he cuts all the things off the cereal, <laughs> and the cereal just pours off. Like you would have had a bag. That actually did make me chuckle every time it happened because I kept forgetting about it. Particularly like I think it happens again, like two thirds of the way through the movie. Like John Cusack just picks up a box and yeah. just like is distracted, walking away. Like, like that's yeah. the classic like cartoon uh, keg of gunpowder, right? Gag. <laughs> um, also, oh, did you notice the thriller jacket girl in the lunch line? Like. There was a oh, just a little what? thing, but like in the lunch line, in the lunchroom scene, there's a girl in the lunch line who is 100% wearing Michael Jackson's Thriller jacket. Nice. No, I missed it. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, and then also the uh, math teacher dating Beth was kind of like, what, what, the, what, what? And the mailman. Just like everyone like, on everyone. earth trying to date <laughs> his girlfriend. Yeah. 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 Which I actually I thought that was kind of an interesting thing because it's like that kind of reflects like the like insecure like you're young and you're you're dating and it's like if you know you break up you just you know you might have like this idea like oh my god who are they with now Mm. who are they what are they doing blah 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 so she was dating all those people and also uh stalin i think that was a figment of his imagination in like because they were asking to date him to date her the only person you actually see her with is the math teacher teacher other than stalin so, do we assume she's dating these guys as well as Stalin? I don't think so. I think it's just like his just the math insecurities sure. getting the better of him, and he's like he's seeing things that aren't actually happening. Mm. And that's, I mean, it's weird that you say that because you'd think this movie would make his insecurities more like weirdly manifest, like yeah, rather yeah. than him. He like there's so many absurd things. Yeah, so, like his insecurities are never like really they're on display because yes. he's a maniac, but like right. There's not any like weird things that he's imagining other than the claymation hammer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what like I guess I guess that's a figment of his imagination. But everything else, you're you kind of are led to believe it are kind of real, right? Unless it's just kind of unless all yeah. of it is just his teenage boy brain, and this is like he could be like this could be like the story of just an insane person. Like Ooh. you've seen the fan theory that uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is like a Fight Club thing. Which yes. spoiler alert for Fight Club. Uh, if you haven't seen Fight Club and you don't know the spoiler by now, like, it's too late. Yes. If you don't know how Fight Club ends, you're missing. If you don't know Darth Vader is Luke's father, like, you, I'm not cool even going to... it, relax. Don't alienate our listener base. Um, but no, anyway... There's a the, statute of limitations. For those, that don't, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, uh, yeah, the uh, fan theory that... Um, Ferris Bueller does not exist and Cameron is just imagining this guy who like is like a, 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 like the perfect version of himself as he visualizes himself as he could be. I feel like this could be like a different version of that where John Cusack is insane and Charles DeMarc does not exist but he just pops in as like his top hat wearing imaginary friend occasionally. Um, <laughs> to tell him how to ski. To tell him how to ski. <laughs> which by the just way. Just keep going and then if you see something turn. Yeah exactly. Which I love that Monique gave him the same the exact advice. Right. advice which is that really the only. That's, so that's, great. That, that's just how you ski. But that was another thing that I was going to say that I lo- like you won't see in a movie today for different reasons is that in that crazy 80s style of skiing with your ankles just glued together and like hop 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 hop, oh, yeah. hop turn hop turn hop turn like constantly mm. by the way watch that that mountain did not look hard to ski I, I have to be honest like they should have picked a better mountain to be K-12 <laughs> so I will say two things one first of all I grew up in Florida 
Never skewed in my life. Sure. I'm terrible it's at it. Hard. So I think, yeah, it's very much so. <laughs> so in high school, I think I liked this movie too because like the skiing aspect was sure. like, okay, that's something I could never do. That's fun. <laughs> um, but then also it's like, that mountain doesn't look very hard. I think I can get into skiing. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a hard mountain? I can ski. I can do, I can this. do this. All right, great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, by the way, the scene, yeah, also the scene uh, where he's going to get his ski fixed and the guy's in, like, a wheelchair. It's, like, in traction. Oh, and, he, and he talks yeah. about, like, he's, he's like, yeah, I wanted something to do after the Olympics, so what? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I tried the K-12. I looked it up. He's like, he's like that thing is dangerous, man. Um but yeah, I, I was I looked it up because I desperately wanted for that actor to actually be like an Olympic skier because I thought it would be hilarious if you had like I don't know Bodie Miller or something like that in traction in a wheelchair at a ski <laughs> shop like couldn't do the K twelve. I want to know where they shot the K twelve. Like what run uh, is that actually? I don't know which run, but they said they shot all the ski scenes at Alta and Brighton in uh, Utah. Nice. I feel like in 2018, this movie would have like Sean White, Bodie Miller, like Lindsay yes. Vaughn, just yes. all, yeah. all just in different oh, forms of disarray. Yeah. That would be excellent. They'd be, they, they should be the ski team, the high school age ski team, all these like <laughs> yes. 35 year old Olympic skiers. That would be great. That would be perfectly in line with the uh, remake we're going to talk about here soon. Yes. Um, um, also, ski kind of related. The Curtis Armstrong gag where like, they're about to ski and he's like, wait a minute, snow? Do you know how much this mountain's worth? And he's like trying to connect, collect that, it thinking it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I didn't love that. Honestly, that made me groan. I was like, I thought it was too funny. much. That, too obvious. that was a solid pun. So that and the him snorting like jello in the cafeteria. <laughs> like, you're just like them trying way too hard to make him a high school drug addict yeah he's like the kind of kid. the jello was painful to watch i was yeah. like my sinuses hurt i was gonna say i don't know about what kind of high schools you guys went to but i mean christian he, school I he, was the, he was he would remind me you're the kind of guy who would like basically just like rip a gnarly line off of uh like a uh a, 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 a sharpie or something like that in the lunchroom oh uh, the like, kids who like smelled those like smelly markers a little too hard no lie i knew a guy in high school who at lunch decided to snort a line of salt why? Oh, God. Hated the sinuses. Yeah, I guess, yeah, like, I guess so. Um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, he's, he's, uh, his, his character was a little up and down for me, I thought, but he was, it was, it was pretty good. The, uh, um, by the way, the uh, thing about Roy Stalin that I thought was, was great was apparently, I forgot to mention this earlier, but first of all, his name. Best yeah. best villain name like just just name your guy like that's that's like the bad guy in your movie being named Jim Hitler. <laughs> yeah. the eighties, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> Andrew right. Mussolini, the yeah. new ski captain. Um, but he uh, apparently uh, Savage Steve had this story to tell also that when they were doing casting because he was so young, a lot of people didn't realize that he was the writer and director. So um, when the have guy read the script, when the, guy, when the guy who played Roy walked in, first thing he says is, "Who's this chubby surfer?" And it was Savage Steve. That was the first thing he said. You're hired. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He's like, okay, you got the part. You're an asshole. Yeah. He wasn't even an actor at the time. He was just a mean guy who stumbled just, into casting. Just, just a dickhead. Just a mean yeah. jock. Just a mean jock. Um, but yeah, I was wondering like how much, like so much of this absurdity and like the weird stuff that got in this movie that you could probably never have in a movie today. Like the fact that it got, that it made it into the movie is one thing, but how much of it do you think that we can attribute to the fact that this was like, Savage Steve's first film. He's a first-time filmmaker. He's 25 years old. I, I feel like this is the type of movie that you could only make at that point in your life and your career. I mean, I was wondering about you guys had any thoughts about that. Um, I'd be interested to see. I didn't see this in my research, but, like, the backing... Because I honestly think it'd be kind of hard to make... This 
you know, content-wise, it makes a lot of sense that it's a 25-year-old dude, but the fact that he got as much of this and as wild as it was into the movie mm-hmm. for his first movie, for them to have trusted him with that is kind of wild. Like, yes. that's hard to believe. And I even read, like, a, one interview with him, and he was talking about, like, I'm surprised he got as much in it as he did, because apparently the studio didn't even want the title Better Off Dead for yeah. obvious reasons. Sure. Uh, and, like, he had to fight for the title. He had to fight for a whole bunch of stuff. He had to fight for like, Cusack. He had to fight for Cusack. And it's just, like, it's kind of shocking that at, a 20, as, yeah. at 25 he was able to do that. Yeah. Um, and then also just, I think there's, we kind of talked about it earlier, like, yeah, you're going to make this movie about kind of yourself. Yeah. And, but, like, right. also just, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want and see what they make me take out. And, yeah, and then like, there's this yeah. animated sequence with a hamburger, and then there's, like, <laughs> Which whatever. apparently this people love. Like, yeah. Apparently it was, like, one of the only scenes, like, test audiences liked in this movie. That was, like, yeah, that was That's the highest. why That was the highest scoring scene for test audiences. Because that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is teenage boy brain. This is not for me. Which... Uh, yeah, and I, I for sure, because I, I, I read an interview about that uh, where he mentioned that too, where he said that like he even even Savage Steve thought this was stupid, and he was like, "I think we should trim it or just get rid of it." And they were like, "No, audiences love it. Keep the hamburger scene. Can, he, like, can you make it to the, the whole movie? <laughs> <laughs> this is actually just a, a hamburger movie now." Um, wow. But yeah, and I, I wonder, like you know, we, we talked a little bit during the Boogie Nights episode about how like young, you know, how it kind of takes a young filmmaker's like level of just like I'm hot shit I got an office at Paramount I can do whatever the hell I want kind of an attitude to get some types of movies done especially like particularly like audacious movies but in this case I'm wondering how much of that went into this dumb but still kind of great movie like like as, as described by Roy Stalin chubby surfer uh, uh, Savage <laughs> with a name like Savage Steve Holland like you know he's got he, he's 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 probably got a, his confidence is probably in such a weird place when he's making this movie that it's like it's hard to really put a pin on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I feel like this movie is kind of a reflection of just that weird, weird place that he was probably in. Yeah, like I don't, I I don't know. I struggle to see. It's I want to know the making of story mm-hmm. behind this. Like, did someone read the script and say like, yeah, you know what? People are gonna watch this movie. Like, this is this is what the teens want. Or, and then he was like, well, if you want it, I'm going to direct it. Or mm-hmm. what happened? Because it's one thing to be, like, picked up as a genius. Yeah. And, like, you're going to make this, like, you're going to make Boogie Nights, which is going to be an epic. It's uh-huh. going to be, you know, very of Goodfellas. It's going to have all these stars in it. But to make, like, this very kind of populist movie, uh-huh. this very, like, this is just going to be pop culture. This is a popcorn summer flick or whatever. Yeah. Mike, did, did you happen to read the story? Because I actually have a response to this. Do you happen to Ooh. read the story that he said he told about this? No. Okay, so he says that he, uh, when he was in art school, he was he started working with some of his friends. And when he decided to make the switch to do live action films, he directed a short that was based on a script uh, from one of his friends. But he injected a lot of his own experiences into the movie also. And it was uh, uh, he screened at a film festival that Henry Winkler saw, um, oh, and Henry Winkler came up to it and like sought him out and was like, "Hey, I thought your movie was really funny." And Savage Steve was like, "Oh, because it was supposed to be a sad story from my life." And Henry Winkler was like, "You got any other sad stories from your life?" And he's like, "Hell yes, I do." Next week, Office of Paramount. Ah, like that's how this basically how this movie got. That was the genesis of Better Off Dead. I didn't know Henry Winkler had that much pull. 
Yeah. Not, I mean, 1983, 84, Henry Winkler. Sure, sure. Yeah. He was fresh off the of happy days at that point, I think. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it's... it's I, Again, Hollywood the 80s just sounds like the Wild West sometimes. <laughs> like, funny movie. You got an office now. Yeah. I uh, mean, I we've talked about this a lot, but I finally watched um, The Disaster Artist. Okay, yeah. And yeah, having that, like, just... Making a movie that you think is going to be one thing. I wonder if it's the same thing is what uh-huh. I'm trying to get. Is Did he make this movie? He at least obviously made the short. But like, did he make this movie thinking like it was darker than it is, <laughs> but it's so absurd and funny to just everyone else that like he didn't even really know the movie he was yeah, making? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like not knowing the beast, like the Frankenstein's monster to, or in this case, a, a, a John Cusack's hamburger of a movie. <laughs> Um, of just, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of see what you're getting at there, where like he made this movie thinking that it was going to be, a, it, the tone was going to be darker, and like he just didn't have a, a firm grasp of tone. Like maybe he thought that like the suicide theme was just going to make it inherently darker, but like it was buried so deep in the jokes that like that it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, I, we may never know. Because even the suicide like was not that dark, if you can say. Like it just didn't feel super real like i was never yeah. like wow he's really at the edge of this rope i was like this kid is delusion like come on it seems 16 like a, year old a sad kid. high schooler but like like a melodramatic never, right kid. except like, for the one with the car in the garage that one felt very oh, real yeah okay that that one, oh uh bad santa connection also yeah so oh, forgot so about that yeah, one yeah. um but yeah but when he accidentally hits the reverse gear and like crashes out of the door that actually that was pretty funny um, oh, they had just fixed just, their car. The, the running gag <laughs> the garage of, door. of like the dad having to fix the garage door is pretty solid. That was oh, yeah. a, a, again, like, Cardi. Your point about this being very much like a Christmas story. Like that dad was very much like the dad in a Christmas story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the final scene of the movie is the the little brother shooting his rocket <laughs> off into space and blowing yeah. up the garage. Like, yeah. <laughs> like again, it's like that's the end zone of the movie. End of the beginning is the dad having to fight this paper boy. Yeah. Breaking yeah. The, yeah. 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 Which made me think the face-off was going to be between the paperboy and the dad, but it kind of turns out to be... He's when, just an all-around menace, I guess. Speaking of the paperboy, when he went off that cliff on K-12... I thought he was going to explode. I thought he was just dead. I thought he was going to explode, because that, that was the kind of movie this is. It's like SpongeBob logic. Anything could happen. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly I right. loved his little bike ski. That yeah. was pretty cute. Just conditioned to think anything going off a cliff, any vehicle will blow yeah, up. Yeah, on blow impact. Up. Yeah, exactly. I did... So the scene with the paperboy while we're on it yeah. um where they're like that scene at night and then there's all the paperboys that was legit kind of scary that was yeah like there were a that couple was legit of like horror. legit horror movie yeah. like yeah. tropes in the movie yeah i don't know i was like ooh, i feel weird that i'm kind of scared right now but <laughs> all the other paper i feel like there were a lot of moments $2. in this movie two dollars yeah when he has like the the, the switchblade comb. oh comb. yeah again so Classic. stupid but so great <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was one of the several moments where I was like, I don't know how to feel right now. Like, right. it was a movie that actually kind of made me uncomfortable in weird ways, but not mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. not for not for any particular reason. Like, not uncomfortable in like Twelve Years a Slave, uncomfortable, but uncomfortable in like I don't know what emotion I'm supposed to be feeling right now or how strong. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, I definitely. get that. But uh, yeah, I mean, Mike, you know. Rewatching, they're revisiting a movie like this. I'm curious about like what you, what goes through your mind because I know how it is sometimes with me. If I've, I'm like, I just really want to watch this movie right now that I haven't seen in a while. I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I just really want to see it. And then you watch it, and you're like, well, this isn't what I expected. 
Or you pick up things. Like, I always have that thing, especially when I have to watch things for this podcast, mm-hmm. my own movies. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I never noticed this thing before. So were, were there any any of either? So I think, uh, so like I mentioned, it's been, it's been a minute since I mm-hmm. rewatched it. And I don't know, like my movie and TV viewing habits have like gotten so blown up in the last, <laughs> like like ever since Netflix and like podcasts yeah. and like, I don't know, like jobs. Uh, <laughs> oh. Stupid. Um, I just like, I don't typically sit down and watch a ton of movies anymore. So like, having, first of all, having to sit down and like, take some time to watch a movie was one yeah. very nice so sure. thank, thank you for that <laughs> um so it was different it was like i remember so when i started it and they open up on like the bedroom with all like the obsessive photos i'm mm-hmm. just like why the hell did i like this movie <laughs> yeah and then like it continually got like i kept getting those like familiar beats and seeing the dad and the brother and the mom and like it's like okay i got it so it was like it took me a minute to get back into the flow of things and you can cut this, but I just have one note here that's just yeah. main wiener man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what Charles Mark calls Lane, or, or says like Stalin is her main wiener, wiener man. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think I was just like re like acquainting myself with all like the ridiculousness yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Just, like, I don't know. It's just like kind of slipping into a warm bath. You're just like, this is nice. Yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> it is a, in that way, like you said, it is kind of like slipping into a warm bath because like first you're like, ooh, not too comfortable. But then you're like, all right, once I'm getting, now that I'm used to it, it feels mm. great. Um, and I think even, I mean, like I, we might get into this and in some of like the influence on the later stuff, but it's like I kind of picked up a little bit of a couple small moments from yeah. like TV shows specifically. I don't think movies really picked up on anything that they did, but like little scenes reminded me of certain things in like tv shows i was like okay i like i like, I, I appreciated that so, okay. anything in particular that stands out that you can think of not to put you on the spot there but um so one just like a general sense like and i this kind of just came to me it was like community in general oh, i feel oh, like yeah i feel definitely. like dan Harmon. so i don't know if he's a fan or not i feel like he took some beats from like oh. at least the style of humor yeah. and how like, i could see dan Harmon loving this movie yeah and then y'all watch um friday night lights the tea, like uh-uh. the show. Uh-uh. So there's a couple scenes that, like, and obviously him working at the, the pig palace or whatever yeah. it was, like, was only it's a couple. Pig, yeah. Only a couple scenes, but like, uh, there's one scene or a couple scenes where one of the characters in Friday Night Lights works at like just a little Texas diner. Uh-huh. It's just like that, like drudgery of work, mm-hmm. and everyone hates their yeah. job. It's like it just like it just felt very much in that you know small town diner. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which, by the way, speaking of that, that uh, I can't remember what it's called either, something, yeah, the something pig, uh, the scene where he takes Monique there as a, a, a surprise romantic date, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know, that was one of the scenes I was talking about where I was like, I'm not sure what the tone is supposed to be here. Is this supposed to be like a parody of that kind of scene? Is this supposed to be sincere and sweet? I really wasn't sure. And right up even up to and including the serving of the TV dinner, which I know is a callback to Christmas, but at the same time yeah. I was just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel about this. You're really messing it up, kid. This is and then he's yeah, I was like, well, what are you going He spends for? the whole day talking about Monique and then he does another callback. He pulls out the saxophone yeah. to mm-hmm. when like um Charles Lamar is like, if you want to get girls, I've been at high school for seven and a half yeah. years i know i know high school goes work dummy <laughs> yeah i'm a dummy you either need to learn to play saxophone or ski the k-12 right and then he just pulls out the sax he like, does oh. both yeah he, he does goes both. for real oh uh, yeah that mm-hmm. was... so yeah i mean you I, I, 
you made a good point with the community connection. I, I didn't really think about that, but that's actually kind of perfect. Like, I, it was, Carl, do you see any kind of like in, like lasting influence of this? I mean, considering it coasted under the radar for a long time after it was released, I'm not. I, I had a hard time thinking of it because I feel like this is like the kind of thing that's like if you were 14 and watched this on cable in like 1988, you know, by the mid 90s, early 2000s, maybe you could like work it into something. And then we're starting to get into that period of like the Dan Harmon's making community and stuff of that nature. So, um, but I don't know. I, I was kind of trying to think about it. I feel like it, it was adjacent to a more influential cycle of movies without actually being as directly influential as for example, your 16 candles or your Ferris Bueller's or John Hughes movie. This did yeah. feel a little bit like a parody of a John Hughes movie. Now that you mention it. Um, yeah. now, that, yeah, now yeah. that I'm thinking about this more. Yeah. I think it's hard with a parody to find influences because like it is so foundationally based on influences. Mm-hmm. So like, how do you know if it's influenced so, by the parody or influenced yeah. by the influence? But I think community it's, is a really great one because yeah. the logic is obviously so similar of just like sometimes just totally bananas things happen and mm-hmm. we're just going to be like, yeah, that's fine. There's parallel universes in this episode. There's like whatever else. And so, then sometimes it's just like, no. Can I throw you another purple? Please yes. do, I insist. So I think, I think, and I don't know too much of his work other than I think some some of the big seminal hits here. But so Ricky, mm-hmm. uh, the actor is Dan Schneider. I know where you're going with this. He's famous oh. for a bunch of Nickelodeon shows. He became the producer creator of a whole heap of shows, including the Amanda Show. Oh, Amanda Bynes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good Burger, familiar. I think oh. Keenan and Kel. Uh, yes. So like even up to as recently as iCarly, I read. Yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. Really? Uh, so wow. I I wonder how much this experience, probably not too much, really colored like his approach to stuff because like some yeah. of them, like I probably watched a little bit of the Amanda Show, but like definitely Keenan and Cal when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And, like the shows, you know, were a little ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, they take yes. some interesting departures from reality pretty often. Yeah, that's true, and uh, that's a that's a great point that like you know these people it, it ended up getting into children's programming. Like right. this is yeah. basically like this is like the cadence of a children's show mm-hmm. in but with dark material. Yeah, you know? it's almost like a clean Adult Swim a little bit. Like there's very sort of. kind of robot chickeny type, yeah. Like, yeah. just quick sequences with payoffs and then you kind of move on and maybe throw back to it like yeah yeah it's it's definitely not for kids this movie but it's like just barely grown out of that phase it's not for kids it's not for adults yeah it's, <laughs> for, it's for 14 to 17 year olds yeah, yeah, yeah. 14 like, to 17 year olds yeah. it's adult swim that your parents would be kind of comfortable with you watching like, why not he's gonna watch garbage either way right it's, yeah it's, it's adult swim your parents are comfortable with you watching because they watched it when they were because better right. than the other stuff you want to watch. So I was going to say, I have ahead. no idea how old your dad is, but like it would not surprise me if he was like 17 when he saw this movie. I have no clue if that's true or not. Yeah, I don't know when his first viewing was, but he said it was his favorite when he was a kid. So. Interesting. Or like, Interesting. you know, a teen. Um, but yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about insane scenes earlier. Any other favorite scenes or moments that we didn't really bring up? Um, I know for me, like I said, the, uh, the, the skiing sequences were hilarious to me just because I was like, that is not how you ski and that mountain is not hard. <laughs> um, mine's probably just one line. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's after the suicide attempt where uh, Lane uh, is going to drink some sort of accelerant uh, at the dinner oh, table. Yeah. Uh, and then Ricky's mom takes it and also lights up a cigarette and blows up. Yes. Yep. And the line as she's being carted away, Lane says to Ricky, 
Gee, Ricky, I'm really sorry your mom blew up. (laughs) (laughs) You should have to stay away from spicy foods. (laughs) Monique, just like dying laughing during that whole part was uh, pretty great. Just, gee, I'm sorry your mom blew up. (laughs) Um, Something that stood out to me was the gross mistreatment of that Camaro. Taking it Mm -hmm. out in the snow like that. And then just, I would not trust that kid with a Camaro. Like, just No. Yeah. Did he say, didn't his dad say he bought that car for $200? Listen, my friend, my good, good friend Joey, his first car was a 1991 Camaro and it was in terrible shape. And I I believe he spent at least five times that much on on his. This was $1985. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Inflation and all that. You know. It's a a free Reagan boom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, my dad and brother restored a Camaro when he was in high school. My brother, obviously. And... Yeah, I, like I, said, just, I, I would have loved to watch their faces when um, when some of the Camaro scenes, because it was just like, they would never treat their car like Can that. Can I tell you, both of my uncles drive 60s era Camaros. Nice. My mom's brothers. Nice. They're very cool. Yeah, like the cool uncles. Um, I was just like a small moment. It was like when the dad uh, comes up and like finds uh, Lane shoving as many Q-tips into his face as he possibly <laughs> oh, can. Yeah. I, I like, love, yeah. I felt like that could have been a many number of movies, but it was a yeah. it, was, it was a good one. That might also have been a reason I like this movie. There's a picture of me when I'm around 11 where I have like eight <laughs> pencils stuck in, just nose, like the whole yeah. Perfect. Nice. You were like, ah, oh, this really speaks to me. Like, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, and th- this is one that we haven't really done in a while, but a remake of this movie, and this is a tough question for me, because first of all, I don't think a remake of this movie could ever be made. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not. Um, unless you made it in, like, Russia or something like that, um, and then called the main, uh, the main villain, like, Roy Reagan or something like that. I think that would be kind of funny. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about, if, let's say just hypothetically you could remake this movie, like, the Cusack character, I don't even know who our options are today. Like, the closest I could think of is, like, Maybe somebody like the kid who played PETA in uh, Hunger Games oh. or somebody like that. Uh, Josh Hutcherson. Yes. I did. I had my notes. Who is the John Cusack of today? Like, There's a vacuum for it right yeah, now. You know? I'm trying to think. Because even Josh Hutcherson is like a little too old. Yeah. I don't know how old uh, John Cusack was. And, you know, people play high schoolers mm-hmm, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I would say, and this is the actor I was trying to think of the other night for, uh, I think American Patriot, uh, Dylan O'Brien, who's on, like, Teen Wolf. I think he's kind of got that same sort of Cusackian sort of silliness Mm -hmm. to him, but that's about it. He was also in, like, Maze Runner. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I think Mm -hmm. the, I don't know about for the Cusack character, I think, so we talked about Hot Type Time Machine earlier. Yes. I think for the Roy Stalin, it makes a lot of sense to cast Sebastian Stan, who's also in Hot oh, Type Time Machine. Yeah. like the American, oh, like, perfect, yeah. yeah. Just like, big, dumb jock guy, just yeah. loves America. The Winter Soldier, <laughs> yeah, exactly, making him yeah. the all-American jock. That's perfect. Yeah. No, that's great. That'd be like his Russian trilogy. Yeah. Isn't play- like, third, I guess the, the guy, it would be easy to make him a much older actor and just playing a high schooler. I think, honestly, if this movie got made again, like, it should be, like, maybe, like, an 18-year-old actor and then just, like, a 40-year-old Because Roy Stalin looks 38 years old he in really this movie. Does. I thought he was the coach for the first couple <laughs> scenes because, like, nobody knew who he was and then he was, yeah. like, clearly calling all the shots but everyone else has to try out. I don't know. Yeah, I could see maybe um, Nick Robinson. He's been kind of in a lot lately. He was in Jurassic World, hmm. the older oh, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And yeah. he's been kind of showing up more and more, although he's they're kind of playing him more as this kind of like gushy. Although, no, John Cusack, it 
right yeah. in line of the like right. love interest slash like sensitive guy or whatever. Yeah. Could just be Dustin from Stranger Things. Yes. Uh, I would watch him in any Definitely. Day. Yeah. Um, and then uh, definitely too old, but as Charles DeMar, the whole time I was watching I was Charles like, DeMar. This is this, <laughs> this is a TJ Miller a character. Reprise. I was like, this is a TJ uh, Miller character. Like TJ yeah. Miller is like 40, yes. but still I feel like, you know, I mean Chris Rashawn looks 40 in this movie, so oh it was like God. He could do it. I, Remake I this like. movie and just have the John Cusack character be actually like close to age, and everyone else just be like forty-five. It's weird when you think about ageless characters, you uh-huh. don't. You would not think of Curtis Armstrong, but he looks exactly the same as he like now as yes. he did in Revenge of the Nerds. He like, has slightly more noticeable bags under his eyes, but that's it. I mean, you drink and smoke that much, it'll catch up to you. But <laughs> he hasn't aged today. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I was thinking about this. You know, screw the age thing. Like, let's just make this remake an actual cartoon. I feel like yeah. it screams to just be like an animated movie. Um, I mean, the live action cartoon thing is it, it makes it kind of unique, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, um. It's just a, it's just such an odd little like package that just is such an anomaly of its era. I feel like um, yeah, it's very eighties. Like I just I don't I don't think it would play the same way today. Maybe no. if you made it a cartoon and then you'd have certain expectations. But now I think if you made this movie, people just wouldn't even know what to do with it. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up here about this movie? Hmm. Take that as a resounding no. But uh, oh, one other random thing. It's interesting. In the Christmas scene, this might have been a joke, but in 2018, we actually do have fireplaces on our TV. Yes, I forgot Netflix. about that. I, I don't know if that. that was supposed to be a joke, but I was like, oh, either this has been going on as long as time, or they did not realize like where the future was heading. I think that was meant to be a sight gag, but I saw that and I freaked out. Right. Yeah. I think, and I like that. I think there was just like the fact, again, that this is not like an 80s team movie. It's like, <laughs> They spend more time on the montage of fixing the, the Camaro yeah. than they do on him, his ski training for him to beat yeah. Stalin. Like, yeah. like, none of it matters, Like, which well, is, I think, my favorite part. He, like, like, literally never gets good enough to do the K-12. No. Like, he doesn't beat it. And he just, like, sudden, accidentally... he's with one ski, and he's nailed yeah. it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> he slalom's down the K-12, was, and that, that, was, the that was the key. Two skis makes it harder. Right. They just it's didn't realize. It's twice the friction. <laughs> and then it, that doesn't matter either, because then he has a sword fight with Ricky to, like, get yeah. unique. Like, none of it matters, yeah. which I think... <laughs> I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Just like teen life, man. <laughs> exactly. Nothing matters. Well, to wrap that one up, I, I think that one of the buried themes in this film that like I, that we didn't really talk about that is not necessarily comedic at all is like, it's kind of, I think Monique kind of gave the mission statement of this movie, which she tells Lane, all you need is a small taste of success. And I feel like there was a movie buried in this movie about a guy who was just not confident because he never pushed himself to do anything that he wasn't good at. Uh, and that is in and out in like five minutes of this movie. Like, yeah, we get very that deep fixing car montage, and that's all we ever get in this. But I was like, he learns the sax as well. We'll get him. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, I started to wonder about like what this movie could have looked like if maybe they had paid a little bit more attention to like thematic consistency. Um, but <laughs> any kind of consistency. Be, but it would be the same movie. It would not be the same movie. Yeah. No. Um, and so for that, I think that it's uh, you know, it it. It is, a, it is an oddball little piece of 80s nostalgia that I, I definitely think is, uh, you know, worth checking out if that's, you know, at car to borrow your phrasing, if that's, if that's, if you think you'd be into this, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like the most 
nothing way of saying it, but I can't help but agree with you every time every time that comes up. Get it. Um, I'll take that neg. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, again, would so I guess that kind of brings us to: Would you recommend this movie? I can't say my phrasing again because you've already <laughs> said it. But if if it's something you're into, watch it. I don't. I mean, I'll, uh, I say this every single time, just like cut in every other episode of me. We've made it pretty clear what this movie is. If you think you would like it, then yes, watch it. It's worth watching. Uh, yeah. If you're not into this kind of thing, don't watch it. It's very much this kind of thing. <laughs> this this thing is very much this kind of thing. Indeed. Yep. It is true to itself. You may not like that. <laughs> so, Mike, let me throw you a, a variation of the question then. Who would you recommend this movie to in oh, broad strokes? Thanks. Um, I would say if you just are really pining for some 80s nostalgia yes. and you, you love competition movies where the competition itself does not matter. <laughs> uh, and, like, and I think if you really uh identify with like the parents of 80s teen movies and really like wonder what like they're struggling with <laughs> then maybe this is the right one for you because you actually get a nice look at their lives which cooking, I feel like, cooking uh, is the main struggle yeah. i'd say i feel like most 80s parents are just kind of like a punchline which these are also a punchline. Yes. <laughs> it's just a more fleshed out punchline. yeah yeah i think if you're like i i want to watch something from the 80s i'm just like really feeling some 80s this is everything from the 80s so just watch yeah, this and you'll be yeah. fine it's like if you loved weird science but you just wanted weird science <laughs> yeah. to be like a c plot of like the, the main <laughs> character's brother like then you're you fine didn't, you yeah. liked it you didn't love it you, you want, don't want to just watch that you don't want to watch weird science you just want like a sports competition movie on top of weird science then yeah. this is the movie for you which speaking of sports competition one thing i forgot to bring up fun fact the uh the guy who plays the korean brother who learned how to speak English from watching Wide World of Sports. Apparently he practiced forever to do an impression of Howard Cosell with an eight, with a Korean accent and got the part with that and then they turned around and dubbed him with an impressionist. No. Oh. And he was like I mean, it, it, like it, it, apparently after, after the fact he he, uh, he said, well, I mean, obviously I was disappointed but I mean, <laughs> it's not my movie. I right. think there is a theme here and it's nothing matters. Nothing Try your hardest. Matters. Nothing matters. So true. Yes. Uh, yeah. Fortuna smiles upon some of us and not all of us, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's going to pretty much wrap us up on this movie and this season of K Have You Seen. Dun, dun. I know. We should have ended on a cliffhanger. We should. Will we get more awesome? Oh, can we get more awesome? That's 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 the cliffhanger. Is it even dun, possible? Dun, dun. Um, but we have big things planned. We're uh, uh, basically we were talking about this before we started recording. We're just trying to basically get our shit together, uh, even more so than we already have, um, and just trying to like put together the best the best content. That yes. hashtag content. That your ear holes just beg for whenever you know you find out. Oh man, it's Wednesday. New new K. Have you seen? So we got big ideas. We have been texting back and forth like every other day, practically. Like, oh hey, have you seen this movie? Oh hey, as if yeah. we don't already have eighty movies each <laughs> yeah. on the list. So yeah, it's ever growing, people. We are coming back. We just gotta organize ourselves, figure out what is gonna come to you season two. And make it even better than season one. In the meantime, if possible. In the meantime, yeah, if possible, we've set the bar too high for ourselves. If uh, anything, tough, you guys. We've had that yeah. taste of success. Now we're, we're going to learn the saxophone. Yeah, yeah. Top. exactly. So um, yeah, we've got uh, we've got that to look forward to in the foreseeable future. At some point, we've got another 
Uh, we've got, like I said, a huge roster of movies. And, of course, if you have suggestions for us, we love having guests. Yes. Um, Mike, uh, speaking of guests, uh, where can people find you and your lovely voice? Oh, goodness. Well, um, I do two podcasts with some friends. One is called Trends in the Places. We talk about dumb internet stories and mostly just make fun of them. Uh, that is Trends in the Places, where you can follow us at... Uh, TILP cast on Twitter, and then we do a 24 fan cast called Longest Days of Our Lives, where we watch every single episode of the hit show 24, which we have all grown to hate. Um, <laughs> um, we wish we weren't doing this podcast anymore. We hate it. And that is at L Dual Cast, L D O L Cast, that's on Twitter or Facebook. So, so are you watching the spinoff now, too? Um, so we're going season by season. So we're, uh, we just passed the halfway mark on season two. So uh, between two and three, we do have to play the 24 video game. Oh, oh is, was bad if I recall correctly. <laughs> and then we'll do the movie and uh, yeah, the spin-off show. It's it's a long road. I find it hard to believe that like an adaptation, a video game adaptation of a television series would be bad. Uh, I've played the Lost video game, so they, wow. actually, they actually play it in Super Bad. Oh, nice. Uh, the video game that Michael Sarah is playing is the 24 video game. Fantastic. Wow. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Perfect little but, Easter egg. Oh, like you guys, we have like eight years of content mapped out, which is nice. So. <laughs> oh, uh, did, did you miss the part where we each have like 80 movies on our right. list? So yeah. we're, all, we're right there with you. Um, I, I can vouch for both of these podcasts. They are very funny, whether you've watched 24 or not. I think I, I have not watched a single episode of 24, and I am tracking what is actually happening in the show just from watching it. Or listening to their podcast. By the way, not a faster way to catch up because each of these episodes is definitely longer than the episode. Not twice as long as the episode. <laughs> yeah, we're getting up to like oh, 90 wow. minute, two hour episodes about each one hour episode <laughs> of the show. I think there's layers though. There's Very layers. much like this movie, Better Off Dead. We have like a weird lore of like Tom Hanks built into. I don't know how yeah. it happened, but like we talk more about Tom Hanks than the actual show 24. If you love Tom Hanks and you've never seen 24, this is the podcast for you. Oh my gosh, had I realized I would have been listening this whole time. I'm going to pick up the 24. It's pretty great. I can't recommend it, but I appreciate it. Well, I I certainly can. (laughs) I can recommend both of those, but Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, Kari, thank you for being my co-host. Kyle, thank you. It has been a wonderful season. As we're doing it, I would also like to shout out to Kelly and Jeb, our other guests this season. Um, and all our forthcoming guests. We love having you guys. Well, it's been an awesome season. It's oh, been it's been a, been a pretty great six months. My goodness. My goodness gracious. My goodness, yeah. But yeah. Uh, can't wait until next time. But until then, my name's Kyle. I'm Kari. And this is KIV Scene. See ya. Bye.